Welcome to Economically Speaking, the information podcast designed to bring you the latest economic development news in the town and the surrounding area, hosted by Babylon IDA CEO Tom Dolan. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Tom Dolan, and you are listening to another episode of Economically Speaking. Today is episode 24. With us today, we have town historian Mary Cascone, and you may be familiar with Mary. Mary was on episode 11 just not quite a year ago, uh, where we started doing a continuation of, or we did a program back then called A Talk Back in Time, and Mary shared with us a lot of great information and how the town was formed and uh, some of the things that were going on. But today, we wanted to talk a little bit more about what brought people to live in the town of Babylon and some of the different eras of housing booms that went on, Mary. And welcome and welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Okay. Well, before we get into that, too, I know that uh, one day we were speaking. Again, we work in the same building. And you were telling me that your name was in a book, but the, your name was spelled wrong. Maybe you could tell us some of the programs and some of the other things that you've been working on. Well, um, I've been working on my blog that I have, as well as the town's anniversary website. The town celebrates its 150th anniversary this year from separating from the town of Huntington in 1872. The website has been a long time coming, but it's something that we're very proud of. And I know that there are many nights when I'm leaving, you're still in your office and you were working on that. We had talked about that, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later, maybe in this episode, and we can talk about how people can uh, go and access that information. Let's talk about the housing boom, and let's talk about the town of Babylon and the different iterations of when people came here to the town of Babylon. Certainly. Through my nearly 16 years, I, I think I've narrowed it down to three distinct time periods okay. when, when people um, were in a, a wave of coming here. That first one was in the late 1800s. Um, it's an interesting time just to set the stage a little bit because I think that people are more familiar with our railroad lines of today. Mm-hmm. What is now the Ronkonkoma line and goes through our Pine Lawn Windanch and Deer Park, that first came through in 1842, a good 30 years before we separated from Huntington. The Babylon line, so you know your Amityville, Copake, Lindenhurst, and Babylon, that came through in 1867. It's a significant range, those 25 years, but we do have to remember that as a nation, we were involved in the Civil War, which delayed bringing that Southern Railroad line through. But what great access for people. Just think about how long it took you to get from New York City, where all of civilization was really centered, out here to the countryside, and, and the railroad was one of the, the best ways. What were some of those original attractions Well, you have to think about the contrast with New York City. It's polluted, it's dirty, it's crowded. And we were everything that was the opposite of that. I think that we might take being along the Great South Bay for granted, but the idea of not just the country air, the open spaces, but that access to to the ocean, ocean breezes in a time well before air conditioning, that is really what would attract people. And opportunity. Isn't that one of the things that always, you know, brings people with great ideas to to come here? Who was it attracting? You know, there's different classes of people and things. So who was it being attracted? We had a great, a wide range of people that would come. Okay, one of the ones that is, is largely popular is talking about the estates that were here. Again, those people that make their money in New York City 
Um, they have a home most likely in Brooklyn, but then they have a country estate out here. North Babylon is, is the greatest example of that when we had Belmonts and Guggenheims. And that is, that's how the Westminster Kennel Club came mm. to be formed here in Babylon Village. Because if you're coming out here for recreation, which includes duck hunting, hunting with dogs, and it's not just water sports, they form a club. You get to know your neighbors, fishing, was very popular. So they bought great big estates that really they were only out here for a short amount of time. But you have a large estate, you're not gonna let that land go to waste. You're enjoying a big parcel of it for your house, but then you're going to engage a caretaker that will run a farm. Hawkins Estate, which is known in Copeg, we have a neighborhood that's known as Hawkins Estate. That was also known as Wild Goose Farm. And the caretaker there did such a great job, he was winning awards up and down the East Coast for raising chickens. Wow. So you want your country estate to help sustain itself. It's there for you to enjoy, but you're also employing some local people to work there. We often forget about the people that helped make those estates run. We think about the person with all the money who's writing the check, but you're going to have builders, they have chauffeurs, they have people that maintain the estate while the owners of the property are elsewhere. Okay, so there was an investment being made way back when. Yes. Okay. Then you have, we, we talked about the early 1900s, 1920s. That was the next, would you well, wave? Well, I'll, I'll just go back for, oh, sure. for a moment. The other group that we had um, outside of the wealthy people, uh, we did start to have some developments. And Lindenhurst, then known as Breslau, is the greatest example of this. This was the building of an entirely new community around the railroad. They get started just two years after the railroad's coming through. And it really, if anybody who knows Lindenhurst, that intersection of Hoffman and Wellwood, those four corners built up first uh, with hotels, hotel, I'm not talking luxury resort. Right. I'm talking about a room with a small bed and four walls with an outhouse outside. But for the person who wants to come out to the countryside to hunt with their, their buddies for the weekend, it's the perfect place. You get something to eat, something to drink, a place to sleep, and you go back and on the railroad for work by, wow. by Monday morning. So in that example, what the developers of Breslau wanted to do was that they wanted to sell housing lots to all these people in the city. Come out here, build your little place, but that's not enough, you need a place to work. So the developers are giving money to the Vulcanite Manufacturing Company. You know, we'll give you a plot of land if you build your factory here. Right. And believe me, the people in, in Lindenhurst were industrious. They never had one job it appears. You made cigars and you owned an embroidery shop. You ran a saloon and you had a factory right. that was out back. Yeah. And of course, Breslau not only knew how to work, they knew how to have a good time, which is what they're also known for. Bands playing and beer flowing. I am a Lindenhurst resident and uh, I think the bands are still playing and the beer is still flowing. I don't know. <laughs> but th that's, that's very interesting. And we talked about that um, prior to, again, prior to doing this episode, you know, we do economic development and we attract and we talked about incentivizing sometimes to get industry or to get people here, looking at it holistically, economic development, right? Housing, you said, what well, comes first, but they said that they knew how important to get industry out there. So very interesting, but I'll let you continue and continue to walk us through this. It's so great. 
Well, we, you know, we get through the 1800s and there were plenty of land schemes. Um, imagine that, that person who walks in with $20 in their hand into this small office in Brooklyn and they're gonna be sold a piece of the countryside. Yeah, they were sold a piece of it on paper, um, but there are many stories of people who, who would take the railroad out and go to try and find their 100 by 100 plot of land and just found nothing but scrub oak wilderness. Oh. Here. Was this primarily a Londoners or? No, oh, okay. um, it, it was, it was, we have some great stories between uh, Deer Park and Wine Danch gotcha. where some of these happened, but it's actually reported across the island. It's not something that was specific to the town of Babylon, but right. they, in the eight, around 1893, a New York City paper actually writes the, the stories of the Long Island land schemes. And I think you can find almost every town Oh, nice. across Nassau right. and Suffolk County. Okay. But, but because they got started, it gave the idea. So even if they didn't fulfill their, their promise for the housing that they were gonna build, having a development filed with the Suffolk County clerk leaves it ready for the next person who then scoops it up at a, at a great price. Right. So we get into the 20th century. Um, we were now, we're, we're past the industrial age, but we're coming more into the automobile age we get to World War One. Long Island served through World War One. They, they sacrificed through World War One, as did all of New York. When that war was over, we had a housing boom on Long Island. And it's one that people forget about a lot. Hmm. But after World War One and before the 1929 stock market crash, there were a lot of speculators who wanted to sell you your place in the country. The 1920s, we think about um, prohibition, but we think about the jazz age. And it was also a health craze time. It was when we were realizing that we could do something about our health. The idea of getting out of the city for a couple weeks during the summer, at least, to just breathe that clean air, mm. that's what you would start to do for your children. And so it became a badge of honor to get away into the countryside. And one of the best ways to do that is to have a little place of your own. That's where we get the bungalows. Right. So many of the bungalows that became, you know, meant to be seasonal that became the full-time uh, residences for people. But along the South Shore here, Amity Harbor, American Venice, Frederick Shores, those were all 1920s developed. Here Park is another one from Lindenhurst. And in fact, Amity Harbor's tagline was, you can have a boat in the backyard and a car in the driveway. And, and that that was a real modern experience. Very interesting. And those, and those were the big places you were saying, Lindenhurst, the American Venice and Copeg, North Babylon and Babylon Village. You talked a little bit about Amity Harbor and the, the Venice, that was more of a, right? That was more of a planned community? Um, they were, that they were, had features um, related to community recreation. So Amity Harbor had um, a big clubhouse, and they also had a tower that you could you could walk up and look over the bay. Both American Venice and Amity Bar Harbor were known for their canals. These books, I'm just asking off, off the record, kind of off script here, pictures. Yes. We have, I know you have a lot here uh, that we, we have an opportunity to look at, but are you able, are there a lot of pictures from those times? And Here and there. Starting from the 20s, we have more. One of the great things is the access that we have to the old newspapers. Gotcha. Um, and we can start to see advertisements 
for some of these places. The interesting thing is that you don't find this information in the local papers, those that were published in the town of Babylon. Right. Because they're not trying to sell real estate to the people that live here. They want the city folks. So all this stuff gets advertised in the New York City papers, in the Brooklyn papers. And this this is from the late 1800s right up until the 1920s. They'll pay for your railroad ticket to come out here. They say, pack a picnic lunch, come out here and spend the day. Or they would pick you up at the train station. Right. They just wanted to sell you that that plot of land and, mm. and get you out here. And they knew that once you saw it, that you would just fall in love with it. Right. And yes, there are pictures. For Amity Harbor and an American Venice, that's in the Copeg book that we published about 12 years ago from Breslau to Lindenhurst. Really only covers up until 1923, but here's the scoop. We're gonna have a new Lindenhurst book in the next year that will cover the 1920s up until the present. And that will really cover a lot. I also participated in a book called uh, Gardens of Eden with the Society for the Preservation of Long Island Antiquities, which is such a mouthful that now they're known as Preservation Long Island. Mm -hmm. And that was all about these planned communities up until the 1920s across Long Island. So we get through that. Businesses are happening, right? So they're attracting. Are some people from those areas, instead of visiting and just coming out for the summers, are are anyone staying here permanent? They were starting to. Um, I think that the Great Depression actually led some people that if you lost your job in the city, but you had that bungalow that was out in the countryside, that maybe you made it into your, your permanent dwelling. I don't think there was as much building that was going on in the 30s, but those bungalows that had been built in the 20s and didn't quite sell made perfect rentals. Necessity is the mother of invention. You have the property, you're gonna figure out that way. There's an interesting set of small bungalows in American Venice that were actually built by the Bethlehem Steel Company from Pennsylvania. Every now and then I'll get a call from people because they'll go to renovate a bathroom and instead of finding wooden studs, as you would expect in in a house from that time, they encounter steel and they think that something odd is happening. Yet there aren't as many as there used to be, but they were built of cement block on a steel frame and they had corrugated steel roofs. And what we were able to find was that these were some rentals. This was a test spot. They did more of them in Pennsylvania, but this is just it. When you're struggling to keep your companies going, you do whatever you can. Right, that happens today as well, right? Yes. So now we move to post-World War II, the suburbs. And uh, I think I shared with you that that was my family's visit out here. My mom took a visit with a friend out to Lindenhurst, fell in love, and they moved out to Lindenhurst, 1952. And that is when it was all happening. In post-World War II, you know, we talk about, you know, the baby boom. That's how we get the boomers. Mm -hmm. Um, The word boom just gets applied to everything, the suburban boom. We had had some infrastructure that did happen before World War II. Think Robert Moses and the parkways. Some of that had already been started. We know that it was pretty insufficient by the time that we get to modern times. But people wanted to move from the city. They've sacrificed through World War II. They have served in the military. They've done their part, and now they want to truly live. And they want to give space and happiness to their families. It isn't enough to build the houses. You do need to have some of the industry. A lot of that's happening in Farmingdale. 
We had a lot of aviation manufacturing going on during the war, but then that continued afterwards. Mm. Just think of the whole industrial areas that are in East Farmingdale today. Sure. But as a result of that, what do we need? The first thing we need is new schools. Lindenhurst is a great example mm. of this. At one point, I think that they had seven or eight elementary schools at the same time because they built small schools for about 230 to 250 kids and they put them within the neighborhoods so that everyone could walk to school. It's an idea that we still think about today. This is the way to reduce the need for bus transportation. Sure. They were building schools at such a rate that sometimes they didn't even make a big deal about the opening of a new school because it's just gotta get it done, gotta open the next one. Yeah. In West Babylon, I believe it's the South Bay School and Santa Pog are built from the same set of plans. So you buy as much open land as you can. That's why a lot of our schools are back to back. JFK School and South Bay School butt up against each other right. in Copeg, Susan Wiley and Great Neck Road. You, you start to put, and thank goodness that they did because that was about one of the last times that we had enough open space mm. to, to do that. Very interesting. So my, my father used to kid around, you know, every time something went wrong with the house, he would say, I had to have $10 in my pocket that day, right? Then we came out here. So I think that's what he put down to, to hold, to hold that, their spot. So Mary, that is, that is tremendous. And those three kind of uh, distinct times as far as housing and how that developed. But so it was the post-World War II, the suburbs, that's when people came out, they stayed. There was industry to support. Um, I know my dad traveled, but the railroad, again, that was right. He had the transit-oriented developments here in the villages um, where they were able to travel back into the city and then come home at night. Anything else you want to add to that? Time? Commuting by railroad has, has been long been important. You mm -hmm. know, we've talked in the past decade um, about using more public transportation to try and ease congestion on the roads. But it's nothing new. Right. It's what's been going on because whether you were talking about the 1800s or the 1920s or the 1950s, the idea that you had access to the railroad and into New York City was, was vastly sure. important. And it's, you know, we had those times when you had a, a traditional setup of, you know, wife staying home with the kids and being able to shop in the local downtowns and a husband might be, you know, going by railroad into the city. It still applies today. That was, yeah, that was so, you know, Isn't as a kid, I remember that. Isn't that, you know, just look through your real estate advertisements today, you know, and they'll talk about, you know, easy access to Long Island Railroad. Oh, it still plays a, a major role. And uh, the 1950s, um, the Long Island Railroad had their uh, cartoon character Dashing Dan and Dashing Dottie. You don't see Dottie as often, but uh, right. when you see the two of them together, they're racing for the train, holding on to their hats. <laughs> <laughs> and we watch that go up. Right? It, was, it used to be on the ground, the railroad, and now it's up in the air. That was actually yeah. before my time. Look at me like, huh? So let's talk a little bit about the work you've been doing. This year is a big year for the town of Babylon, 150th anniversary of the yes. town. You've been doing a tremendous amount of work to put this together. Why don't you kind of share with us what you've created? Well, we've been doing increased presentations. We've been going out to community festivals, and we're going to continue to do that through the summer. The biggest thing that I think that most people have access to is our anniversary website. So over the years um, in the town historian's office, I've been asked many questions about the origin of community names and boundaries, street names, and parks. And the anniversary web pages are an attempt to make this a information available for all of 
of our communities. Just some of those small things, um, including things like the naming of Lindenhurst. How did it go from Breslau to Lindenhurst? It's, and I get this asked at least a couple of times a year. People go, it changed to Lindenhurst because of World War I, right? Because we were fighting the Germans and didn't want a German name. And while that is a true thing that happened across the nation, that's not why Lindenhurst changed its name. It right. actually happened 20, almost 25 years prior in 1891. And it was because the fighting between the two people who started Lindenhurst, that and a double unsolved murder that happened around 1888, uh, kind of left the Breslau name as not a happy one. And they, they changed the name to Lindenhurst. But it's a great opportunity to, to share what the rumors have been, um, but then to share more accurate information. So it's, it's been wonderful. Our communities have such a great shared history, but each community has unique features and stories to learn about and explore. In addition to some general history about how the town of Babylon was established, we've identified every person who has served as an elected official. Oh, over wow. 300 people. And that includes positions that we no longer elect. Wow. Uh, like we don't elect constables yeah. Yeah. and things like that anymore. One feature that comes as a surprise to people is the town seal. We see it all the time, but we don't really know its meaning. It was adopted in 1878, six years after the town had formed, and it has five animals. In the center is the eagle. Of course, that represents our, the nation and our, our commitment to it. And then there are four marine animals. On either side of the eagle, uh, of the eagle's head is a clam and an oyster. Beneath its talons is a fish, and through its beak is an eel. All four animals are found in the Great South Bay and represent some of the industry that was popular and needed for our economy sure. during that time. So it's on every town vehicle. It's on, it's on the top of every town letter, but we don't always stop to, to take a look at what it means. Absolutely. And the building that we're recording here, Old Town Hall, was opened in 1918, 46 years after the town's creation. So not everything happens at once. Right. We, um, it takes time to put things together. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we are able to look back on our history, uh, we get to see how people have worked over time to sure. get to where we are. I think the last episode we had done, you also talked about the establishment of some of the other towns and how Babylon kind of was behind that a little bit because of it was part of Huntington originally, right? Yes. The contact information, if people want access this, Mary, what, what would they? They can go right to townofbabylon.com and right across the banner is a community section and all of those history pages are right there in the community section. Excellent. I'm going to find myself on that too. Yes, and we, we are looking forward to our town-wide parade that will be held on Sunday, October 2nd, and all the information will be posted as we get closer to the event. But we have not had a town-wide parade since 1972 when we celebrated our 100th anniversary. We've had parades. Right. We've had some fantastic youth league and uh, fire department parades, but to have a town-wide parade when we bring all of our communities together, um, we will be going through Copeg down Great Neck Road and into Tanner Park, that's which awesome. thankfully is our largest town facility wow, at like 80-some right. acres. We need a place that's going to be big enough to, to right. hold us all. Oh, that's excellent. Any parting thoughts, anything you want to add to what we've talked about today? 
this might be our 150th anniversary and we're, we're encapsulating you know, all of this information that we've learned up until now, but it's, it's never over. We never close a file. Just last night, one of my neighbors who has a house built in 1882, they're doing some renovations in the carriage house at the back and she found a garbage pit and she dug up a bottle and it was, and it says R. Collins, Babylon. Never heard this name. I've seen lots of bottles wow. from around and we've yeah. identified yeah. the businesses and I've never seen this one. So you never know what's gonna come through the door. And last night, I already figured out who it is. You know, he had a saloon right here on, on East Main Street and I'm gonna write about it on my blog. Awesome. But you just don't know when it's gonna come through. So we are, we're ready. We're ready to just keep moving forward. It keeps me in business That's great. and it'll yeah. keep my successors in business as well. Well, I got to tell you, Mary, you're, you're so passionate about that and you, they got the right person doing this job. That's for sure. I find Thank it you. so interesting to be here, to listen to you. I look forward to doing another episode as we continue to work through these uh, talk back in times. And I want to remind everyone that please go to the show notes and uh, we will have all that contact information and you can stay in touch with Mary. You have the blog, which I think is a big thing. And I know that's uh, important. Great, great stuff really is. But again, I want to thank everyone. I want to thank everyone for listening. And don't forget, we have uh, maybe we'll talk again prior to October 2nd again to kind of promote this and promote what is a great event in the town of Babylon. 150 years and we continue to grow and we continue to move forward and that's the role that David and I we have an opportunity to play uh, in the town as well I want to thank everyone again for tuning in again my name is Tom Dolan you've been listening to economically speaking have a great day everyone